Good morning, everyone. This is Father Nate, missionary priest in Italy, and thanks for joining us today, February 7th, on No Greater Delight, our podcast on Marian feasts and Marian meditations. So today, we start off with the image of Our Lady of Grace in the Abbey of saint Suave in Montréal-sur-Mer. So, among the many different miraculous images, there's one in the Church of the Carmelites in Vienna, entitled Mary, the Mother of Grace, or Our Lady of Grace, also known as Our Lady of the Bowed Head. And it has this name because in 1610, a Carmelite, Dominic of Jesus Mary, found among like the different things in the old Arthur Church, this image of an oil painting of the Mother of God, dust-covered and looked somewhat torn, right? So, taking it into his hands, he shook off the dust and knelt down to venerate it with great devotion, right? He had the picture kind of cleaned up. He put it on a shelf in his cell where he made it the object of his devotion. Now, one night, while he was praying fervently before the picture, he noticed some dust had settled on it. So he had his old woolen handkerchief, and he dusted it off and apologized to Our Lady. And to his great surprise, the face of the Mother of God appeared to take on life. And smiling sweetly at him, she bowed her head, which thereafter remained inclined. Right? So Dominic was worried that he, like, he had misseen it, but Our Lady assured him that his requests would be heard. Right? He could ask for them and not to worry. Right? And then... Um, Dominic begged that all who venerated Mary in that image might obtain what they requested. In reply, the Virgin gave him this assurance. All who devoutly venerate me in this picture and take refuge in to me will have their request granted, and I will obtain from them many graces. But especially will I hear their prayers for the relief and deliverance of the souls in purgatory. Right? So after the, the death of Dominic, the original painting was lent to, to Prince Maximilian of Bavaria. He gave it to the Discalced Carmelite in Munich in 1631. They gave it to the Emperor Ferdinand II of Austria and his wife Eleanor. And then after Ferdinand's death, Eleanor entered the Carmelite convent in Vienna and took the picture with her. Right? And so then it kind of went back in faith, forth to different places. Today it's in the Monastery Church of Vienna. Um, on September 27th, 1931, it was solemnly crowned by Pope Pius XI its 300th anniversary of arrival in Vienna. Next, we're going to jump down to Italy, and we recall that in 1783, there were a great number of earthquakes in the first days of February This in, uh, in Calabria, right? So one celebration we have is the Madonna del Rosario in Soriano Calabro, Bibo Valentia, Calabria in Italy, right? So it was a very big uh, earthquake in the first days of February in 1783. They said that it radically changed not only the face of the territory, but the very identity and conscience of the Calabrian people. Right. So, but oftentimes these people show their devotion and thanksgiving to Our Lady who had protected them, right? So one of these expressions takes place in Soriano Calabro, the epicenter of one of the strongest seismic shocks, right? It was a 6.3, 6.5 on the Mercalli scale. I don't know if that's like the Richter scale or what, but anyways, it was big. And so um, it destroyed a number of the convent complexes, but this miraculous painting of St. Dominic and an image of the Blessed Virgin Mary of the Holy Rosary were found intact, right? So that was very important for them. Um, and not only that, like even earlier, they had experience with Our Lady and the Rosary, right? Because in 1638 and 1659 in Soriano, um, like they noticed that these people who were very devoted to the Blessed Virgin of the Rosary, they noticed that um, those particular towns had less catastrophic effects of the earthquake, right? So this is, for them, it's a very important celebration. Same thing or similar thing goes to uh, in 
Coflenti in Canta, Cantanzaro in Calabria, Italy. They celebrate um, Maria Santissima delle Grazie della Quercia di Visora, which is the most holy Mary of the graces of the Oak of Visora, right? And again, we remember that this is um, because of these huge earthquakes that took place in 1783, which took place in these first days of February, right? So what happened? Well, again, it was uh, on February 7th, they had this huge earthquake. And so on this night of terror, the people of Conflenti left their homes and went to the Shrine of Our Lady, asking her for help. They had a procession through the streets, invoking the protection of Maria Santissima di Visora. And almost at the end, a very strong shock was felt. There was no damage, though, just a lot of fear, right? So when they started hearing the news of what happened in neighboring towns, though, they were very, very grateful because they said, like, no, this is a miracle. We've been saved. And so, uh, for this reason, every year they have a procession of the Statue of Our Lady on February 7th, and they fast on bread and water. Since 97, 1997, that is, the Madonna della Quercia de Visora has been the patroness of Conflenti, right? So still today, there's the traditional procession. Uh, if we go a little bit further in Italy to Santissima Maria Vergine della Porta, which would be like Most Holy Virgin Mary of the Gate or the Door, in Guastella, Guastalla, Reggio Emilia, Emilia Romagna, Italy, the feast commemorates the miraculous healing in 1693 of an injured man, who injured blind man, who was praying before the image, right? So the first miracle that we have, the one that really began the devotion to the faithful, took place on February 7th, 1693. Right now, we have to understand a little bit about the history. So, it's a um, a small image of Our Lady was painted on the wall, like in like the on the the wall of the door of this place, right on the right side for people exiting. So, uh, they say the image dates back to 1646 or maybe 1624. They don't really know, right? Um, it was sort of at, like it must have been at the barracks because it says that there's a lot of. It was ordered first off by the sergeant of the guards, and then. Um, Unfortunately, like a lot of different patrol groups came through. And so it sort of like just kind of um, place where it became a place where people threw their trash and yeah, nobody really took it seriously. Um, there were fires lit by the guards at night. So the image became black. Um, and so at a certain time, a certain Giambattista Zagni, who remembered it because he had actually spent some time in the guardhouse. Every so often he would go there. You know, he was an older man, but he would try to clean it up and, um, you know, do the best he could. So the walls of the city were entirely destroyed by Spanish troops, but it was only that gate that was left, that door, right? Probably because it had like a, a certain elegance to it. Um, so what happened? Well, it, he became very old and weak and in sight, right? And so on a cold winter's evening towards the end of January 1693, as he left the city to go towards his home, probably due to his eye problems, it was icy, he suddenly collapsed in a very deep ditch. So this poor old man suffered bruises, and um, also, yeah, he had some big problems with his eyes. So what happened? Well, because he was really devoted to Our Lady, um, he bought a candle and asked his friend, who worked not far from there, to light it in front of the image, right? And so he, he did. The friend went very nicely and lit the candle. And Zanyi immediately not only recovered from the after effects of his accident, but also, also, he recovered his sight. So obviously they'd become quite uh, famous because of that miracle. And many people started going there. Um, the, for instance, his friend, uh, who, was the, who had brought the candle there, went and lit a candle to ask for grace of his, uh, the two children who had been suffering and sick. And, yep, they were completely healed. So another man, Domenico Bertarelli, um, 
was so crippled that he couldn't stand on his legs and he had to drag himself on his hands and knees. When he learned of these events, he decided to go there. So Sunday, February 8th, 1693, they took him by cart to the gate, right? So people had come to, to venerate the image. And so the man had been, uh, yeah, he prayed and dragged himself on all fours to the image. Um, after a few moments, he stood up and started walking, right? Perfectly healed, right? So there's a many of these different things, many examples of miracles found there, right? So um, that is what we're celebrating today on today in the Marian world, February 7th. So again, today we're finishing our section on devotion to the Blessed Virgin from St. John Henry Newman's book, Meditations on Mary, Our Mother. These are selections from his writings. So our last section today is entitled God Alone Through Mary, and it's taken from his letter to Dr. Pousset. So let's see what he has to say in this, our last section in the last chapter. Tomorrow, we'll hear the conclusion of this book. God Alone Through Mary Now, it must be observed that the writings of St. Alphonsus Liguori, as I knew them by the extracts commonly made from them, prejudiced me as much against the Roman Church as anything else, on account of what was called their Mariolatry. It's like the idolatry of Mary, right? but there was nothing of the kind in a particular copy that was sent to me. After inquiring, I was told that there were certainly were omissions in one sermon about the Blessed Virgin. This omission, in the case of a book intended for Catholics, at least showed that such passages as are found in the works of Italian authors were not acceptable to every part of the Catholic world. Such devotional manifestations in honor of Our Lady have been my great crux as regards Catholicism. I say frankly, that I do not fully enter into them now. I trust I do not love her the less, because I cannot enter into them. They may be fully explained and defended, but sentiment and taste do not run with logic. They are suitable for Italy, but they are not suitable for England. So that's an interesting reflection. He's talking about St. Alphonsus Liguori, which if you read his stuff, Alphonsus Liguori uh, is very Italian. He's very lengthy, sometimes very dramatic, some very, very powerful stories where he... He spares no words when he wants to make his point. And so, yeah, it's understandable that an Italian devotional book wouldn't be well-received in England, which they're a little more dry, we could say. And so, uh, John Henry Newman's point is, yeah, it's not that the book is bad. He says, but it's just not suited for everybody. And now we continue with his words. But, over and above England, my own case was special. From a boy, I had been led to consider that that my maker and I, his creature, were two beings, luminously such that in rerum natura, in the realm of things here, that in in the nature of things, right? I will not here speculate, however, about my own feelings. Only this I know full well now, and did not know then, that the Catholic Church allows no image of any sort, material or immaterial, no dogmatic symbol, no rite, no sacrament, no saint, not even the Blessed Virgin Mary herself, to come between the soul and its creator. It is face to face, solus cum solo, in all matters between God and man. He alone creates, that's God. He alone has redeemed. Before his awful eyes we go in death. In the vision of him is our eternal beatitude. Solus cum solo, like alone with the alone. I cannot completely recall what I gained from the volume of which I have been speaking, but it must have been something considerable. At least I got a key to, the diffi- to a difficulty. In these sermons, there is much of what could be called legendary illustration. But 
the substance of them is plain, practical, all-filled preaching upon the great truths of salvation. What I can say, what I can speak of with greater confidence, is the effect produced on me a little later by studying the exercises of St. Ignatius. From here again, in a matter consisting in the purest and most direct acts of religion, in the colloquy between God and the soul, during a season of recollection, of repentance, of good resolution, of inquiry into vocation, the soul was sola cum solo. There was no cloud interposed between the creature and the object of his faith and love. The command practically enforced was, My son, give me thy heart. The devotions then to angels and saints as little, as little interfered with the incommunicable glory of the eternal as the love which we bear our friends and relations, our tender human sympathies, are inconsistent with that supreme homage of the heart to the unseen, which really does but sanctify and exalt, not jealously destroy, what is of earth. I am not sure that I did not also at this time feel the force of another consideration. The idea of the Blessed Virgin was, as it were, magnified in the Church of Rome as time went on. But so were all the Christian ideas, as that of the Blessed Eucharist. The whole scene of pale, faint, distant, apostolic Christianity is seen in Rome as through a telescope or magnifier. The harmony of the whole, however, is, of course, what it was. Meaning, in other words, in Roman Catholicism, he says, I see that everything's balanced, right? Everything is its rightful place. And that includes the devotion we have to the Blessed Virgin Mary.